So I want to ask you, how has, you know, what we call development or better termed, I, I think, colonization, colonizing of, the, of North and South America, how has that impacted natives related to lands and to creation in general? Yeah, so some of it I've already talked about in this question, you know, um, the, the taking away, taking us away and separating us from our relations, right? Our relatives, non-human, our, our ceremonies, where we find creator um, present, where our creation stories took place, where our creation happened, I should say, because we do have those. And, you know, I think beyond even that, though, the conversation is about what does it mean to have to survive in a new way? And a lot of folks don't have to think about what it meant for them, uh, their, their, um, in the same way, anyway, their ancestors being forcibly taken away and putting on small parcels of land. So cutting them off from not just their ceremonies and their non-human relations and those beings that sacrifice for food and water and, and, um, and places where children played and the places where their, their ancestors were buried, right? And the places where healing happened and where prophecy happened or visions happened. Um, but then it was like, and, and this, I mean, this is not by accident. I mean, this was the colonial project, you know, from, from the beginning, this was a colonial project. Before people started colonizing here, they, was, they were practicing it elsewhere, right? The doctrine of discovery just, you know, also really helped solidify that it was okay to practice the colonial project here. And so uh, over time, again, as, as tribes were being moved off their land, whether it be um, for, for, for survival sake or it was forcibly moved onto reservations, they, uh, they had to begin thinking about, well, how do we survive this? And now we're dependent. We are dependent upon the federal government now or the, you know, the great white father to give us the food they promised us and to make sure that we have healthcare because we don't have the same medicines available to us. And because you've been pushed into lands that don't have resources. Or just small, yeah. And some people weren't pushed to different places. Some were put on reservations near where they're from. It's just they didn't have access to where all those places were, right? Their territory was so, so contracted. Yes, 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 absolutely. So, um, and then the foods that were being provided, right? I mean, we've gone from having a diet of planted foods that come out of the ground, the, the, the fresh meat, because we, you know, or jerky, right? Um, dried meats, dried fish or fresh fish, uh, you know, nuts and berries and roots and, you know, and, and all the medicines and all the things that come, all the beautiful greens that come out of the, the waters and, um, you know, those were taken away. And I mean, people are like, oh, we want to be on the keto diet. We, we need to be on the, we need to be healthy. Well, what do you think we were, right? <laughs> we, I mean, we, that was the healthiest living, right? These indigenous folks were, were, you know, I mean, not everybody was healthy necessarily, but, you know, we didn't have sugar. We didn't have white flour. We might've had cornmeal, right? But, but, the, but, but the, the, the things that were put in your body were, were very natural and very healthy. Um, and, and we didn't have, and, and two, the focus wasn't food for pleasure. It was about food for making sure we had sustenance. And certainly if it would taste good, good, right? But just like any other culture, the foods that you make are the foods that taste good to you. That's what's familiar. Uh, and so 
um, yeah, so, 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 but the foods that the federal government was providing once we were put on reservations, of course, were saturated with sugar and salt, right? We might have had some salt, some indigenous cultures might have had some salt, but we didn't have sugar and salt for the most part. Some islanders might have had some sugar cane, but it was used for particular purposes and not to store food necessarily, right? Um, at that point. And so, um, um, and so to have meats and vegetables in large barrels or even in cans or what became jars or jars became cans, um, that was apocalyptic. The shift in what we're putting in our body, right? And so many indigenous peoples now, you know, that was hundreds of years, hundred years ago, right? That, that that type of food provision was happening and in some places that still happens, quite honestly, that, that food provision for poor native peoples um, still being saturated in salt and sugar, um, but all of our bodies as indigenous peoples who um, inherit that DNA and you know, are dealing with illnesses that were created by our ancestors who had to or who were forced to eat foods that were stored unnaturally. And, um, and so, you know, that is, that is one way in which we have been impacted, that colonization, that our bodies um, were, were, you know, not just targeted for death immensely by gun, right, or knife, or scalping, um, or burning, or hanging, or whatever the case may have been for generations, but also now, you know, live, try, working to survive um, the foods that we, you know, are, we're forced to eat, and now the foods that we're attracted to, right? Um, we also know that in a lot of Native communities, people don't have food that um, available to them that is healthy even today, even though we're not on, you know, the same type of reservation structure. They're still in the reservations, but they have, you know, ability to, to farm or whatever, but we're not farmers. Right, and and nobody has the tools or can afford the tools to do that, and um, or, or have the time because we're just trying to figure out how to survive this new economy, this new way of having to live life. So, um, so 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 land, you know. Also, I think Mother Earth and our land mourns are not being able to take what happens. You know, when a when a cow or when a cat or a raccoon isn't able to feed their babies. The babies have died, right? I mean, there's some pain that happens. There's some pain in their teeth. There's some pain in their being. There's too much fluid. There's too much, right? And, and, and I, I just imagine that some of the pain that, that Mother Earth is experiencing because we've been connected, disconnected from her as indigenous peoples to eat what she was meant to provide for us in the ways in which was naturally provided. Um, whether it be through our farming systems or, or just naturally. And, and, and so she's in pain and um, that's not cool. Um, that's not cool. And of course I can certainly talk about all the other painful ways in which she's in pain, um, but that's just one real life experience that indigenous peoples have, whether we think about it every day or not, that is, that is something that is also apocalyptic. It's impacted our bodies and it's impacted, impacted the bodies of Mother Earth, the body of Mother Earth. And, and that's um, that, that's hard to think about um, um, as, as a native person. I you know, and especially as I think about all my relatives, even you know, who have um, dealt with heart disease and died from heart disease or diabetes or 
a variety of other you know, diseases that come from th that apocalyptic shift of not having access to the foods we once had, not having access, not, not being able to live out the way in which we were meant to live out here because another group of people came and said that, oh, the way you live is not healthy. Yeah, or maybe even as, as Vine says, not competent. Yeah. You don't, you don't know how to make use of the land. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and that's again, taking us to the economy conversation, right? So. Right, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, um, the, other, um, the other way in which we have, I'll give you one, another example just real quick, if I might. Um, the other, which is really important, I've mentioned a couple of times, but it's also the medicine, right? Um, we, every medicine, even in Western society, it comes from nat mostly natural places, right? But it comes from creation, even if it's not natural. Um, and so, um, but for us, the natural medicines were really truly natural. And um, we were then taken away from those medicines. So not only were we being forced to ingest things that were evil for our bodies, um, but we were also then forced to not be able to have access to the medicines we needed to take care of ourselves. And so the federal government will provide health care. But, you know, in, in the you know, in the late, or we'll say the 18th century total, right, in the early, 18, early 19th century, the federal government wasn't exactly excited about sending nurses and doctors to live on our reservations with us. And when they did, it was, you know, it was, it was subpar. Um, and that's even true today. A lot of our Indian health services don't have the resources they need and or don't, the, the, the non-native people who are working there don't care. Um, and that's just always been the tradition. And so when I think about, you know, the lack of healthcare, especially in some of our poorest native communities, you know, and, 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 and how it's still uh, not efficient and still not um, up to par, um, I just am so saddened because we had all the things that we needed. Um, and so, but colonization and destruction then not only removed us from that, but then plowed over it all cloud over it all, right? A lot of our medicines come from the waters, you know, and now we can't even drink from a lot of the water. So not only do we miss out on the life-giving of water, but we can't necessarily grow the medicines. We can't retrieve some of those medicines, right? From, from, from the creation, from creator, from mother earth, because the water's polluted and it doesn't grow the same or the medicine just isn't healthy itself, right? So that, so, so the healing powers of mother earth I just want to touch back that you know what you're talking about is in the context of development. So it's the it's the, the spoiling of the natural systems that, that has taken place that's made our our waters unsafe. We know that the greatest rates of extinction are in freshwater ecosystems today. Yep. Right, and that's just what we see today, right? We're not. I mean, <laughs> I think about all the all the chemicals to treat. I mean that that's not that's not healthy either, and it still goes into our water systems. I always, I lived in Chicago for a long time and I just could not force myself to drink the tap water, right? There's some places I will, but I just think, man, if what they tell me is true, we pump all of our treated water into the lake and then we retrieve water from the lake to drink. Lake Michigan that is, and I just can't do it, right? And so um, it may be clean enough, but I don't care. And then I have to, then I'm forced to drink out of a, pl a plastic bottle, which, you know, that's a whole other, don't get me started on that one. But, but those are, yes, the development, you know, maybe have cleaned up, quote, cleaned up some things also, 
right? But the development in itself caused for that need to happen, right? And so it's like horse and cart. What happened first to cause the injustice? What happened first to, to take even more away from, from Mother Earth and from creation? So yeah, so those are things that make me, that give me a lot of angst and, and sadness when I think about all the gifts that have been gifted to indigenous peoples and how so quickly, um, you know, the apocalypse of colonization um, took those away. There's one more real world data point I wanna share on, on what you're talking about that I, I just got sent this study. I think it was written 10 years ago, but apparently some feces that were about a thousand years old were found somewhere in the Southwest that had been miraculously preserved by, from one of the tribes. And of course there was a problem about what to do with those remains, but the scientists got their hands on it first. And when they did the analysis of the uh, microbiology in the feces, they determined that 40% of the species in that microbiology inside of those feces were extinct now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, yeah. as you said, the, the diet has shifted so radically mm -hmm. and it's, it's not the way that we're built. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so much to say about all this stuff that we're all breathing microplastics as we're you know, yeah. living every day right now is just totally. You know. Well, and I think that that is, I mean, I'm sharing, I'm sharing what, what we were and I'm, you know, and I'm talking about what we were and, and how we existed and all the gifts that all, that a lot of the gifts that we, we were gifted um, as indigenous peoples. And, you know, there are some people who still live very naturally who are indigenous, right? Um, um, and, and there are some spots I think that some of those people can manage to live pretty close to the way in which we lived, um, even if there is some alteration because of colonization, development, and, and acculturation. Um, but the 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 one of the things that makes this conversation so challenging is because I just want to shout and shake people and say, wake up. Let the indigenous population and our unhealthiness because of our apocalypse be an example to you for what you're about to experience, that you created yourselves as a culture, as a group of people, as descendants of Europe. So it's very loving. And that's the truth. It's like, I, it's like you know, I, I, I don't hate what I hate is that no one's listening. No one's listening to the experience indigenous peoples have had, nor the wisdom that we can offer, not just for the sake of survival, but for the sake of how we can live a new way, which is a very old way, quite frankly, right? Um, how, you know, but, but, our, but, our, but our economics, right, our comfort, the need for self-gratification and instant self-gratification or just gratification um, is so much more highly valued than caring for your neighbor because it's about self, kill and take, right? Um, and, and generalizing, but for the most part, that's the case. And it's built into the system. It's built into the culture in the United States and now the rest of the world. Um, and, um, and, and, and is there turning back? Absolutely, there is, but will we? 
So I just want to say, wake up. We just experienced what you're doing to your, I mean, you, you, your peoples, your descendants, your ancestors, or excuse me, your ancestors, not descendants, you know, just did to us what they set you up to do to yourself. They've set you up. They thought they were doing great, right? To modernize and to, to be ingenious and to, to create and develop, to create comfort, right? To, 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 to continue this world of isolation and individualism, this independence, this kill and take situation. And, um, and they set you up. They didn't give you the answer. They, they didn't finish the plan because the plan was so individualized that they only were concerned about themselves anyway, maybe their children. They certainly weren't concerned about indigenous peoples, but for indigenous peoples, right, our ceremonies and our, um, our relationships and certainly our relationships with land were about, you know, we've got to consider, you know, seven generations after us. We did not inherit this from our ancestors. We are borrowing it from our descendants. Amen to that. I want to ask you about another piece of this kaleidoscope of knowledge and, and positive change. And in the Black and African descent communities today, there's a lot of conversation about reparations. And rightfully so, I think. Um, this is a, a word, as you mentioned to me earlier when we spoke yesterday, that a lot of people don't really understand what it means. And, and um, I'm wondering what kind of conversations are happening about reparations. I'm wondering if you can talk about them. And I wanna qualify this for listeners like me who don't know very much about the native story in America that, again, what Vine Deloria says that, that this idea that restitution of the rights that native peoples enjoyed before the white man came this is perhaps where reparations are intended to end up to restore sort of the the rights that people had before the rights were taken away but back to the the question what are what are reparations about are, are there similar conversations in the native community today yeah i you know it's it's that's a very good question chris um what I would say is that the, um, the conversation about reparations in indigenous communities is pretty simple, right? It's, it's a very easy answer. If we are to have reparations, true reparations, it's give us our land back. Land back, it's a movement. Hashtag land back, go, go, go to Facebook, or go to Instagram, go to Twitter, right? Hashtag land back. And, and so reparations would be because because we're not necessarily you know at our core looking for tons of money we want our land back we want all those things that maybe vine is alluding to and that that you know um that we've been talking about a little bit here we want a return to our way of understanding how to be most healthy for the sake of our community for the sake of our fellow you know tribal folks for our relatives uh and so um today of course even if we got our land back we have to still exist in a certain way. Some of us do have got our land back, but we have to do something with it. What are we going to build on? Is it a casino? Is it tourism? Is it, you know, is it um, 
uh, uh, excuse me, uh, technology company? Is it right? Because our tribes are up and going, man. We, you wanted us to acculturate, you want us to assimilate, man. We're developing. Not every tribe has that that, that luxury, but there's a lot who have bought into it and said, okay, fine. You're not going to, you know, meet this just way of engaging with us. Then we'll 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 use, we'll use your systems, right? And I think that that's fine. But it but it's not. You know the lands that we have and the lands that we're purchasing quite frankly not even lands to give back the lands personally purchasing are being used then to survive in any way right so we're buying into because we don't we can't we can't swim upstream in the same way right there's too many dams and so um so so reparation is about land back and and but i do think that there are ways in which and maybe this is a little bit of what vine was thinking um do think some ways in which things can be repaired uh, so um, how do we make sure that we're having conversations? How do churches have these conversations? Right? Um, and by that, I mean denominations, and the Catholic Church, or you know, uh, other religions even. Um, having conversations about being in relationship with tribal groups and tribal communities. What are resources that are just being held um, that are land-based that can be returned? It doesn't have to be the federal government. Everybody's living and working and existing and praying on indigenous land. It's all stolen. You benefit from it. You may not have been the one to stole it, but you benefit from it. And no, you're and, an inheritor of that stolen property. And to the listeners, again, literally, it's all stolen. We are living on top of other people's lands here in the United yes. States. And, and on top of our, our cemeteries and our, our, and, our, and our ceremonial grounds and, uh, and, our, and our ancient trails and ways, right? So, um, and so, so how do organizations that are not government related begin to, and, and there have been some, you'll, and you can read about some of those organizations and, and church groups that have given land back, right? Individuals who are like, you know, I, who, who have given that land back. Some have like, I have this parcel of land, but I inherited it from some strange person. So I'm just gonna sell it and give the money to the tribe that was here, who was the tribe. I've dealt with those people, right? Um, and because that the tribe may not want a piece of land in the middle of Houston, right? <laughs> and maybe they do, might be a good spot. But um, but you know, maybe but also maybe give the tribe the option. You know, maybe they do want that little corner in that neighborhood. Um, but if they don't, sell it. Give the monies to a native, you know, the, the tribal group or a tribal organization, right? But that's one way in which to repair. You know, that doesn't have to be done led by the government. Another way in which to you know repair is to begin learning, right? The reparation, repair your relationship with us. And the first thing you can do, and you know, like I, I joked earlier, I got after Chris for not reading that book, right? Because the first step for repairing your relationship with any native person is to not make us start at ground zero. Um, I'm okay with being your teacher. There are many natives who are not okay with being your teacher, but I need for you at least not to be at the starting gate. I need you to be down the down the walkways, right? I need for you to have done some work, but to repair your individual, you know, existence here with native peoples and with non-human relatives, um, is to learn about whose land you're living on and what were the, what was their culture about? Who's in your who's in your neighborhood now? Who's native, right? Who was maybe was maybe there's a reservation? Was that tribe from those lands originally, or were they moved from somewhere else? Um, where is the closest native community to you, right? Don't go there expecting them to be your teachers, right? But they might have a museum and they might have, you know, some organizations that you can engage with and be a supporter of, um, you know, uh, uh, that's native run. Make sure they're native run, right? Native led, that's important. Um, and so 
Um, so, so but, but education, uh, you know, we, we, I mentioned earlier, we, we, in our public school system, we're not learning about native peoples, right? So um, one of the things that, that I've done uh, that is important to me is, is to create classes. And so I've been teaching two hour classes, right? To just folks who want to learn more that, that maybe are closer to the starting gate, right? That want to have some information. So there might be people out there who are doing that. Maybe there are classes at a university that you can audit or, you know, um, you know, who, who, that maybe there maybe like, for instance, Dan Levy, you know, Dan Levy up in Canada, he was the Schitt's Creek star and the creator. Um, yes. He took, you know, he audited a class that was on Native history at one of the universities in Canada. He's Do an advocate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, have, um, but, but, but people like me, you know, I created Black Fox Institute, right, to, to offer those two-hour classes. Um, and they're on a variety of topics, and they're just two hours, right? But it's going to give you more information than you had in those two hours, right? And it's not to be the end all, it's to give you some information where you can also then go learn more and or come back and take another class, whatever that might be. So, um, so that's repairing, you know, that's some reparations. And um, the other, I think the last thing I would offer about reparations is to um, become an ally, an advocate, an activist. Um, a lot of folks have in the United States have become that in different times. So like, for instance, in the 60s, early 70s, folks joined in with the American Indian Movement, right? And non-natives were totally on top of it with us and, and excited to be there and, and, and risked, you know, their safety to be in relationship with us. That's happened a little bit here and there over time. And then the next big one was Standing Rock. And there were tons of non-native folks who want to be a part of that. Some were there for the right reasons and had done their homework and knew how to be an activist with us and be supportive. And some came there to enjoy being with Indian people. Well, is that always helpful? Mm, not always, right? Know your stuff, right? So learn enough so that you can be an advocate and activist when you know there are things that are happening. I, I think about um, you know, the news report that just came out in one of the residential schools, Indian residential schools in Canada. Just, you know, there was two, a mass grave was just located that, that where 215 children were buried. Mass and, and, and a mass grave, right? And I've been teaching for a long time and, and espousing or telling people there are mass graves at these schools. Not every school, but a lot of them. A lot of school, all, every school has a cemetery, right? But anyway, there's a, you know, a new movement, right? I used to work for boarding school healing coalition. There's a, there's a, there's a new way to get educated about what the boarding schools were. And yet it was another attempt by the colonizing project by the U.S. federal government to eliminate us. And sometimes as, as this Canadian school has given us the best example was literally to eliminate us. It wasn't sending that child back, right? To be buried. It wasn't sending that child back to be grown and educated. It was to take us away from our communities once again. And that's just one little, and, and yet another little example. Um, and, and, and so, um, so become educated to, and to become that activist and to, when there's a policy happening in DC, right? When there's a native, um, a native uh, person, a candidate for office, maybe consider them, learn more about them. What are they about? Why is that important? But, you know, um, I promise you, because we come from this mindset of community, most Native people who are running for office, not all, most of us are thinking about really, how do we do all this together? We're all, we're all stupid with one another, so, so that's a given, right? But how do we, as a, as a group of people, do all this together in our community? 
Um, and, and that's the worldview we come from, right? That's a gift. And so consider Native people, no matter what party they're from, right? And so, um, so there's uh, some ways in which to repair as an individual, right? Or as a small group, if maybe you're from a, a club or a, a program, right? That you can offer some, some, some help to advocacy or to um, doing some other types of reparation through education or land back type of stuff. Um, so those are the things that I, that I would offer. It's not the same, right, necessarily as what um, in Black people, African-descent people, or, you know, descendants of slaves, um, what they might seek um, or what they might be offered. Uh, and, and it's just a different situation that they were taken from their land. You know, they were, they were put on a much larger reservation, <laughs> you know, um, and utilized in a very different way than indigenous peoples. Um, you know, we can't necessarily give them their land back, but we can do the right thing by them. Um, and sometimes that just means it has to be monetary uh, um, and, 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 and not to forget that history in that place where their ancestors, you know, were used as chattel slavery and, um, and, and were abused and, and were killed. Right, who's and, and, and who had nobody to mourn them or grieve them because their families were taken away. I mean, that's a you know, yes, reparations for them. Um, it's just a different conversation now. Probably, if anybody um, in the United States government or any of the state government said we want to do some reparations, here's a lot of money, Native people probably won't say no. But that's just not the conversation that I've been hearing um, in many or any places in the United States presently. Yeah. That may be what we're trying to work on here. So what can or what should non-Native people do or learn from Native people? Yeah, so I, as I mentioned earlier, I think that non-Native people, especially people who are of European descent, whose people ancestors came here seeking something other than what they had in their own homelands. I just hope that once again, I'll say that they, that you really begin to appreciate our experience as native people, both before Europeans arrived and what that might have been like and appreciate it, appreciate it, and, and, and recognize the, all the gifts that we had been blessed with and have, because of your ancestors, or most of y'all's ancestors, been robbed of over the last 500 plus years. We have been here with these gifts for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Time immemorial. Our creation stories are here. They came from nowhere else. And so I'd ask you to try to understand what those gifts were like and then what it might be like to be robbed of them. I'm not gonna use a trite example here because I could. You can think of those on your own. But instead, I want to challenge you to think about what it is that we might still be able to offer you from the knowledge that we have from all those gifts that have not just been taken away from us in the last 200 years, but have been taken away from you. 
what does it mean that we want to live into this acculturation? What does it mean that we want to readily accept this way of living that is more comfortable, supposedly, that is more easy, supposedly, that is more individual, individualistic, much of the time non-caring, and certainly not responsible. Not just in general, but to other people who live amongst us. If there is homeless, it is not indigenous. And so, so what is it that we might know and be able to offer you? How might you in your work center both our knowledge and experience and center our wisdom to help all of us regain a handle, if nothing else, on how we might better fit into creation, but also receive the wonderful gifts that creation can offer us. These conversations don't have to be hard, but if we continue to focus on the economics and the comfort and the individualistic and not how we as tribal people lived in community and made sure that all of us had what we needed and that it was important for us to understand that our taking did not mean killing. It was not kill and take. Instead, it was take and live. I don't think we're finished. I think that there is, we're not in a place where there's no hope. But I do know that there are many of us who are indigenous who are ready and willing to help you, help all of us understand how to do better in our relationship with our non-human relatives, our relationship with Mother Earth, our relationship with Creator. He created it all for us that we might live, that we might love. We're here, we're ready. And uh, just let us know how we can help. Well, when we started talking today, I, I thought I might burst into tears of grief, but I'm about to shed tears of joy after that beautiful statement. Thank you. Yeah. And um, yeah, let's, let's wrap this up. I, I, um, I so appreciate your time, Vance. I am indebted to you already both for the education and the patience and the, the loving approach that you take to helping people like me and, and others who are just coming online with our awareness. I think um, when, when we were talking a moment ago about reparations, you mentioned, you know, the second thing you said that we can do is learn more. And I think for people that are going to take on learning more, they're mm -hmm. also going to go through a lot of grieving, a lot of pain, and that's going to stimulate a lot of anger. And I, I admire you so much for having evolved beyond that into a place of lovingness towards becoming a bridge builder and an educator and seeing, you know, a path forward. It's the best example. Well, I appreciate that. And I have to give credit where credit is due. Um, I was angry for a very long time. I hated, I hated having to be the teacher. 
I hated it. I did it, but I was angry and I was mean about it. Um, and, um, and it was, of course, all wrapped up in Lutheran stuff, right? But not just Lutherans. It was, you know, not just church even, but, you know, it was a lot in all those places, both church and non-church. A lot of white folks needing and wanting things from me, which, you know, it should have been obvious, right? <laughs> my mother had to remind me. It was my mother who, who created this, um, who said, you know, um, maybe the creator is just, maybe the creator has really just created you to be that teacher. And maybe you need to stop whining about it, stop being angry about it and just do it. And maybe the creator is waiting on you just to be kind so that the people who are needing to hear what you have to say will actually hear you. That was hard medicine. It was hard medicine because um, I was already grown. I knew everything, right? But, um, but so she deserves, she, she's, I, I can't, I, you know. And then I will also say that I love my work with otherwise because um, on day two, right? And when we do not just indigenous, we do a lot of indigenous work during those weeks. This is the week long experiences. The first two days is native, well, first day is native, maybe the second day too, depending upon the program or the week. And then Latinx immigrants, right? And we go through a variety of other cultures depending upon um, the variety of things. But day two, I have these adults, they're pastors or youth directors or parents or just chaperones. Day two, they're coming up to you, Vance, can I talk to you? And they're just angry, just angry. And they say, how can I be 54 years old and not know any of what you just said or anything that we just learned from the groups that we just engaged with? They're just bitter and angry because we, it's not just that we've been, things been taken from us, right? But the chance for non-Native people to be in relationship with us that's healthy and appropriate has been taken away from them. And they're angry, embarrassed, and ashamed all those things because they know how they behaved these last 52 years, 53 years. And it maybe wasn't on purpose, but it certainly wasn't the native's fault, right? It wasn't the Latinx fault, it wasn't the Asian's fault, it wasn't the queer fault. And so, um, so yes, it has, it, it's, it's, uh, it's exhausting sometimes. But the gift to be able to journey with someone to um, enlighten, help them, and help them enlighten themselves. I don't need to do it all, right? But to help them, because if I can do that, then there's one more person on our, on our team, right? One person on our side who might be willing um, to do other things I just asked, and, and, and hopefully more. So it's, uh, it's been a fun tiring journey, I guess I would say. We've been talking with Vance Black Fox. If you want to learn more about Vance's work, please go to vanceblackfox.com. You can also follow him on Facebook, Instagram, and connect with him through LinkedIn. Thank you again, Vance. See you again very soon. Thank you, Chris.